0: This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. Father, thank you for this day and for this time that we have together now. And I ask that you would bless us and keep us very close to you as we work and as we study together. Help us to absorb these very complex questions that we are faced with today, and I pray that you would help us to see how they are relevant to our own lives and ministry. And Lord, for all who are known to us this day, that uh, you would uh, be with them and keep them safe. Uh, For Jesus' name's sake, we ask it. Amen. Right, okay. Well, Andrew's asked me to say something about Pelagius and Augustine. Um, Just to sort of clarify that again. Uh, Pelagius was a man, uh, as I say, in the 5th century who is believed, and I I stress this again, um, that what we say about Pelagius is not necessarily accurate uh, because... Uh, we, we don't know about Pelagius directly. We only know f- from uh, his enemies and so on, so we have to be careful what we say. But what Pelagius is credited with having said uh, is that uh, the human race in, in Adam, when Adam fell, Adam was not completely cut off from God. Uh, that there was something left in the fallen Adam uh, which had not uh, uh, been cut off, which was capable of uh, serving as a base, if you like, um, in uh, Adam uh, for recovery, uh, for recovery from the the effects of the fall. Now, uh, uh, what this was uh, of course it's hard to, to say, but uh, basically it would be his will or the human will, uh, the human mind, uh, something like that, um, you know, something spiritual uh, or non-material in us, uh, which uh, can um, uh, can want the right thing and begin to work towards it. And of course, if you hold a view like that, then uh, the notion that you can, Somehow or other, eventually end up saving yourself. um, You know by uh, by. Uh, exercise by, uh, like a disease, you know, sort of getting, getting uh, well again. Um, you use the sort of good cells or the good part of your body to sort of fight the, 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 the bad ones. Um, that's the picture that Pelagius had of uh, a fallen uh, humanity. And Augustine, uh, of course, denies this. Augustine says, no, uh, there is nothing in fallen human beings which is capable of um, uh, of recovery uh, in its own, on its own, in its own strength, uh, that we haven't got in ourselves the ability uh, to work our way back into favor with God. Now, where, of course, we would think differently today from both Augustine and Pelagius in this respect, is that whereas they thought, in terms that. Uh, could be interpreted, um, as I've just done, uh, in, in a medical context, like disease. Um, you know, a, a Sin is a kind of disease which takes over the, the body, and does it take over completely or not completely? Um, we wouldn't think this today. We would think rather in terms of a broken relationship. And, of course, if you think like that, uh, Augustine's view um, is reinforced because... Uh, you can't have half a broken relationship. I mean, either your relationship is broken or it's not, um, and uh, you know there's there's no sort of aspect of the relationship which is unaffected um, by the brokenness. Uh, so uh, the Augustinian position, if you like, is 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 backed up, is reinforced when you think in those terms, and that is the way we generally think today. We don't think in terms of. Um, you know, having a part of your mind uh, which hasn't been touched by sin or, or, or something like this. You see, as if it was a kind of disease or a congenital defect or something of that kind. So, um, that is basically the, the, the distinction that has to be made. Now, I want to move on from there. We talked yesterday about atonement. And I talked about the atonement quite in some depth. Uh, But, of course, the doctrine of salvation, the doctrine of redemption, and so on, is wider than just this. Uh, The atonement is central, uh, the, the payment of the price of sin. Uh, Without this, without the sacrifice, without the the shedding of blood, as the the scripture says, there is no forgiveness of sin. So that is the central act, if you like, of God's saving work, uh, sending his son into the world to suffer and to die for us. And we remember this, of course, in our worship, in our our whole way of of living, putting the cross uh, at the center of our faith. But having said that, Uh, Of course, the atonement, the actual work of atonement on the cross, uh, is the centerpiece of a wider uh, picture, uh, which we also uh, recognize and confess. Uh, And we need to look at this because each aspect of it has its own uh, uh, role to play in the overall pattern, the overall drama, if you like, um, of uh, salvation. Uh, the atonement is uh, is paying the price, but um, there is more to it than that. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross or after he died on the cross, we are told in the in the creeds uh, that he descended into hell. Now this is a very obscure uh, idea. Uh, I mean, uh, the whole question of hell is, uh, is slightly uh, de- obscure in the, in the scriptures. We don't get a very clear picture of what this is. Um, but uh, we are told that Jesus uh, went there. And of course, this is based uh, really on two uh, texts uh, from the New Testament. Uh, one of them uh, is in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 uh, where it says that he went to preach to the souls of those who had been imprisoned in the days of Noah. Now what exactly that means um, is of course uh, uh, highly uncertain. Um, if we think in terms of the covenant uh, it is uh, at least possible uh, that uh, those imprisoned in the days of Noah refers uh, to uh, those who uh, were uh, under the, uh, who have, been, uh, who are under the, um, the the universal covenant, the covenant uh, that uh, uh, is called the covenant of common grace, if you like, uh, or the covenant of nature, or something like this, the covenant made with Adam, if you think there was a covenant made with Adam, um, and. Uh, that was ratified in Noah uh, when God said that he would no longer uh, condemn the world uh, that uh, you know he would tolerate the existence of sin and not wipe out the world that he would find another w- means of salvation but of course there were those who had perished if you like in the days of Noah perished before th- that God made this promise before God said this and it may be uh, that uh, after his death on the cross, uh, Christ went to, uh, to proclaim the message, the gospel message, to those people. That may be what the, the text uh, is referring to. Uh, we are not told, of course, what happened as a result. Uh, I mean, did Jesus go to preach to these people in order to save them? Um, you know, did they respond in that way? Or did he go and, uh, in order to uh, reinforce their condemnation, to explain to them why they were condemned. That, that is, not, uh, is not stated um, in the text, one way or the other. Um, all that we can say is that there is a long tradition uh, in the Christian church uh, which uh, takes the positive view, you might say, and says that Jesus went to preach to the souls uh, you know, who were imprisoned in order to liberate them. Uh, the assumption being that uh, as as he is the deliverer, uh, as he is the savior, uh, he would have extended that saving role um, to those who uh, who had been imprisoned in the days of Noah. This is called uh, the harrowing of hell, um, and you will sometimes see uh, pictures of this you see uh, from the Middle Ages um, of Jesus going down to hell and sort of opening the tombs and pulling up Adam and Eve um, you know out of the grave uh, and saving them uh, as it were in in, in this way well uh, is this correct is this incorrect we don't know this is a this is a theological um, Opinion, shall we say, you know, that may or may not be the case. Um, The text itself is too vague, uh, too uncertain to be able to base any very firm conclusion on it. Uh, The other text, uh, and the one which uh, is more frequently quoted today uh, as a basis for Jesus' descent into hell, is Ephesians chapter 4 verses 8 and 9, which is a quote from, I think, Psalm 68. It's certainly from the Psalms, uh, where uh, Jesus says, um, or it says that he he, uh, he ascended up in uh, uh, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. And then uh, Paul says, what does this mean except that he first descended into the depths of the earth? Uh, so um, the ascension is understood uh, as the counterpoint if you like of the descent Um, and there is a descent into hell and that is uh, uh, quoted that Jesus um, when he uh, suffered and died on the cross uh, came in order to pay the price uh, for uh, the sins of uh, uh, of the whole world on the one hand yes but also to deal with the whole question of evil uh, that his death on the cross was also the defeat of Satan and of the power of evil, and that this is what the descent into hell really means, um, that Jesus took his victory uh, to the homeland of the enemy, uh, as it were. Um, and uh, you can see the, the, uh, the logic of this, uh, because uh, if I can use a medical analogy again, um, and, and this is, of course, the background against which people are thinking: uh, How do you cure a disease? Um, if you take away the superficial uh, symptoms and uh, you know the appearance and so on, I mean you can do that. but in order to get rid of the cancer, if you like totally, you have to go to the bottom of it you 've got to get to the root of it, and you 've got to clean the whole thing out. If you don 't do that, if you just cover over the surface, then of course it will come back again. Um, And this uh, is the problem, you see, or was the problem. like It's all very well to pay the price for your sin and my sin uh, and and wipe that away. Uh, But if you don't deal with Satan uh, and the origin of evil and sin, uh, then it's still there, of course, to come back and, and hit you later. Um, and this had been the problem uh, in the early church, you see, when people were talking about post baptismal sin. Um, it was all very well to, to take away the sin uh, that you had uh, by baptism, but what, what what happens after that if you sin again? Um, you know, and uh, so the, 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 the idea grows up that the, the death of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, is not just to deal with sins that have already been committed, um, and so on, to pay the price for those, but also to deal with the root problem um, uh, of evil, the power of Satan, uh, which is also broken, so that we as Christians are not merely forgiven for the sins that we have committed, but we are set free from the power of the one who uh, has brought sin into the world in the first place. Um, you know, the, 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 the source of evil, that is another dimension, if you like, to this. And that is what the descent into hell is meant to signify, meant to uh, remind us of. And as I say, it's very important, you see, that we cannot now uh, fall into the clutches of Satan. This has implications that may not be uh, apparent at first sight. Uh, one of them, of course, has to do with demon possession. Um, can a Christian be possessed by the devil? Uh, and the Christian church has always maintained, I mean, over the centuries, that this is not possible. It is not possible. Why? Because uh, the Holy Spirit has come into our hearts. Uh, by faith in Galatians uh, four uh, verse six where where Paul says, "Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, if the Holy Spirit is present in your heart by faith, there is no room for 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 a demon, um, and so Christians cannot be possessed um, in this way now demon possession uh, is of course a subject of course, which is Um, not very widely studied or thought about in in our culture. Uh, uh, But uh, of course there are parts of the world where uh, this is a reality uh, and people are very uh, aware uh, of this Um, and indeed it may be coming back um, in the in the so-called Western world, uh, because uh, of course Satan is still around. I mean, the, the, the demons are still there, and. You know, we we, we like to think we're very sophisticated and developed, and so on, and we don't think we don't believe in demon possession anymore. Um, But there are cases every once in a while. People, you know, uh, there's some things, strange things happen, um, and there doesn't seem to be uh, any other explanation for it. So exorcism, uh, I mean, the, the the ministry of exorcism, although it's very rare. Uh, and, and uh, you know, not something that you meet every day hasn't been abolished. It, doesn't, it still exists, uh, and there are people who, uh, who specialize in this and, and, and who are involved in this. I am not suggesting, of course, for one minute, that we should get curious and get involved um, uh, in this sort of thing. I mean, that would be a very foolish thing to do, uh, but we need to be aware uh, that, uh, that it's there. Uh, and not dismiss it out of hand, uh, because it's often said that the uh, you know the devil's greatest uh, success is when he manages to convince to convince people that he doesn't exist, um, uh, you know, and so therefore of course he he gets away with murder because people just don't see him or don't don't uh, face him. And I would go further than this and say, uh, in passing, that um, this is really a. W- uh, a measure of the spiritual maturity of the believer. Um, I have to be careful about this, but I don't want you to think that I'm some kind of negative, or cynical person. I mean, I know you think that already, but um, uh, this isn't my point. It's just that uh, sometimes the way to sort of gauge, uh, you know, a person's sort of spiritual state. Uh, is finding out what they think about about the devil and about evil. Um, and the reason I say this is that if you ask them about God and, and, and Christ and so on, they're liable to give you the right answer. You know, they know what... They know the answer that you're expecting to hear, and they're liable to give you that. You know, Jesus is my savior, I gave my life to Christ, and, and so on. Which, All of which may be true, I'm not suggesting that it isn't true, but, but this is the kind of answer that you expect. Um, and people know this, of course. But if you ask about the devil, about sin, and so on, I mean, are you, you know... Uh, uh, are you conscious of the presence of sin in your life? And if somebody turns around and says, Oh no, uh, there's no sin in my life. I've been, de- I've been delivered from that. Um, you know, It's disappeared. Um, then you know that they're actually a very long way from God. Um, because uh, there is sin in your life. You're never delivered from this. Um, the Christian life is one of spiritual warfare. Um, and this is quite clear, I mean Ephesians chapter six uh, makes it very clear you know put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to fight against the, the you know the world, the flesh, and the devil i mean this is this is not a joke um, and uh, and Christians are aware of this it 's the same thing um, i suppose if you if you take the military analogy uh, the uh, The strength of an army and of of the soldiers, the the skill of a general or or whatever in the army, is not to be judged by what he thinks of his own army uh, and and its weaponry and so on, but rather by how well he understands the enemy. Uh, Because, of course, if you don't understand your enemy... Uh, and where the enemy is coming from and what the enemy is likely to do, uh, then uh, you are not going to engage the enemy uh, in the right way. This is what I mean, you see. And and so please don't misunderstand me by saying that I'm not trying to 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 be negative or nasty about this, simply to say that if we are truly engaged in spiritual warfare, we need to know what it is we are up against so that we can deal with it in the right way. Uh, you know, so that we can actually train our guns, if you like, uh, on the enemy and defeat him um, uh, in, uh, as we are called to do. Uh, you know, to be aware um, uh, of our uh, uh, of what we are up against uh, and to to fight accordingly. So that is the only reason. It's not to be morbid uh, or something like that. It is simply uh, to be uh, to be aware and to be responsible uh, you know in handling uh, the gifts that God has given us, because we are given weapons of spiritual warfare to be used in the right way. In the, in the proper circumstances uh, in order to defeat uh, the enemy, um, which is why we've been given the weapons in the first place. Um, all right, so, uh, and too many Christians, you see, they tend to be triumphalists. They, they like to parade around and, uh, and say how wonderful they are and everybody else is and, 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 and everything else, which may be fine. I mean, I'm not trying to say you shouldn't have that side of it as well, but, uh, you know, any real army, um, uh, as you know, is not particularly interested in parades and fancy uniforms. Uh, the real army is interested in uh, in getting the job done, um, uh, you know, and getting to the, the, uh, the target um, in the best uh, and most efficient way. And this is what we must do uh, as Christian believers and be aware of this, be aware that our enemy is out there. Then, of course, uh, the, another aspect of this is the resurrection. Um, uh, it is possible to emphasize the crucifixion to such a great extent. That the resurrection tends to get forgotten. You may think, who would ever do that? Uh, but um, uh, if you look at, uh, at Bach's Passions, for instance, you know, the uh, 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 St. John Passion, St. Matthew Passion, and so on. I mean, admittedly, Bach wrote them for Good Friday. Um, and so it ends with the death and, and, and uh, burial of Jesus. But it is a reminder to us. Uh, a certain warning that you cannot preach the crucifixion, the death of Christ, without also preaching the resurrection. Just as you cannot preach sin and hell and damnation without also preaching uh, forgiveness. Um, uh, uh, resurrection and salvation. I mean, the two things go together. Um, it's very interesting, again, if I, uh, I refer to the Paul in 1 Corinthians, um, you see, at the beginning of the epistle, when he starts off, he says to the Corinthians, I am determined to know nothing among you but Christ and Christ crucified. Um, you know, this is, this is fundamental to his whole way of thinking. But then in chapter 15, towards the end of the book, He 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 devotes a whole chapter uh, to the resurrection, uh, and he says, you know, if we don't believe in the resurrection, we are of all men the most miserable, Um, because without the resurrection, there is no salvation. But and if you then turn around and say, well, I thought he started off at the beginning saying he was going to talk about the crucifixion, um, you know, and that was, was, that was going to be his theme, uh, and now we get a few pages down that, you know, into it and we discover that he's talking about the resurrection instead, uh, of course, if you think like this, uh, you've misunderstood uh, because uh, you can, he cannot talk about the crucifixion without also talking about the resurrection. You know, if we are buried with Christ in baptism, so we are raised with Christ in baptism. I mean, the two things go together. Uh, And it's important to remember this. It's important to stress this. Um, There can be no Good Friday without Easter. Uh, You know, the, uh, the two things belong together. They are two sides of the same coin. Uh, and what is the resurrection? Of course, the resurrection is uh, the beginning of a new life. Um, it is the, the call to live a new life. Uh, I don't know whether I mentioned this or not, but I, uh, I don't think I did, so I'll mention it now in Acts chapter 9 uh, when Saul of Tarsus gets up from the ground after he, is, he has the vision of Christ on the road to Damascus. The word which is used in the text to say that Saul got up from the ground is not the normal word for getting up from the ground. It is the word resurrection. Um, it, you know that what happened to Saul was that he was uh, he was raised from the dead uh, into a new life, uh, and uh, and he was of course very conscious of this. The old life uh, had been put to death, and a new life had begun. And this is the key. Uh, of course, to uh, what it means to be a Christian, um, that if there is no new life, uh, you know, if there is no transformation, if there is no change, uh, then um, uh, there has been no atonement, or at least the atonement uh, that Christ has made has not worked in your life. Um, uh, I mean, there is an atonement, of course. You can't do anything about that. Uh, you, can't, you, you can't stop that, or, 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 or anything. Uh, but um, in your own experience, if there is no change in your own life, no transformation, uh, then it has not really worked in you. It hasn't been applied to you. And we need to say this uh, because, of course, from the beginning in the in the early church, but also today. Um, It was this transformation of their lives uh, that made the difference. You know, people understood this. Uh, People saw this, even when they didn't know the reason. That was what they noticed. Uh, And if Christians do not live, in a way which is is, uh, uh, perceptibly different uh, from uh, that of the world around, um, then we are not bearing true witness uh, to uh, to the God who has uh, delivered us, uh, you know, who, who has died for us. I mean, there has to be um, an impact, uh, you know, in the way that we live. Of course, this doesn't mean to say that we become perfect. It doesn't mean to say that, uh, you know, we we are better than other people. It's nothing like that. It's just the way we think. Uh, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, a very close friend of mine. Uh, lost her husband some years ago in a very tragic accident and it was a devastating blow, of course, as you can imagine. And, I mean she was in a terrible state for a very long time uh, and so was I because his this uh, her husband was one of my closest friends and we'd, we'd, uh, uh, we'd been you know, roommates in college together and all that sort of thing, you know, so it was a very, very um, uh, close relationship in that way. Um, And uh, but afterwards, you know, she. um, I remember we were talking about this about the. I don't know, it was six months, maybe a year after he died, and just sort of going over things. And she said to me, she said, you know, she said, I haven't spoken about Jesus and God and uh, as much as I have since my husband died. And uh, and I said, oh. And she said, yes. She said, it, it puzzles me in a way. Uh, you know, I mean, she, she's not a sort of bubbly evangelist kind of person. I mean, you know, or anything like that. She's just an ordinary, an ordinary woman. But, um, but she said she, she'd found herself doing this. She hadn't gone out deliberately to do it, but it just had happened. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, people at work uh, who obviously knew what had happened to her uh, and had you know seen uh, th- this, uh, would come up to her and say, um, "How can you be so happy? How can you be so calm and and uh, you know getting on with life and so on after what has happened to you?" And she said, at first she was very puzzled by this because she said, "I wasn't feeling happy at all. I mean, she said, you know, I was I was bearing this terrible burden and grief inside, and." Uh, she wondered, like, what, what were these people seeing? Because the, it wasn't in her mind or, or, or anything like this. And she puzzled about this. And then she said, well, the only thing she could say uh, in response to this uh, was, uh, well, this is, this must, you must be seeing my faith in God. Um, you know, that, that I know that my husband uh, has gone to be with, with Christ, that he has been, uh, you know, that he is protected in this way. And I believe that, you know, this will happen to me, that we will be reunited uh, in heaven. Uh, this is my faith, and that's what keeps me going. And, and she said to me, she said, I didn't know what else to say, uh, because I was just, you know, sort of puzzled by what, you know, th- this sort of question people were seeing in me something that i wasn't feeling in myself. And i said well i think that's a wonderful testimony. It's a wonderful thing to say because it shows that it is authentic. I mean, it's not as if she was going around, you know, putting a, a brave face on it and and saying, oh my husband's dead, you know, but i'm happy and i you know, it does it, you know what i mean? She wasn't lying about her own feelings or emotions. She was quite Honest uh, uh, about the tragedy and about how uh, terrible it was, and so on for her. Uh, But, um, you know, when other people saw uh, that she was different, I mean, you know, she was grieving, but she was grieving in a way which wasn't the way they would and, and they, they didn't know the explanation. You know, she wasn't falling to, apart the way they think they would have done in the similar circumstances, that this gave her the opportunity uh, to speak about things, that she, you know, her own faith and beliefs and so on, that she would not otherwise have had. This is what we mean, you see, about a transformed life, about, about something uh, which is different, that people see in you, um, you know, something which they haven't got. Uh, you know, they, they see a purpose. They see something in in your life uh, that uh, that strikes them. They may not understand what it is, uh, but they are curious about it. And very often, this is the, you know, this is the kind of witness um, that you know that ordinary people have. Uh, if somebody comes up to you and say, "Why are you so happy all the time um, when you're not really happy at all?" Um, <laughs> you You know, you don't feel that way, Uh, but why? uh, uh, And this is because this is what happened to her, in effect. Um, uh, You know, she uh, she she could only reply uh, by referring to her faith in Christ. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus, or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.